Let's all now turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll read verses 1 to 7. Please all rise if you found it in your Bibles. This is the reading of God's word. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Amen. Would you join me in prayer at this time? God, we ask that you would at this time speak to us by your word through the Holy Spirit. Eternal words that can never change. Words that echo throughout eternity. Words that have power in the present. Would these words once again be proclaimed unto our hearts and be lived out in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in our series in faith thus far, we've explored faith as a gift. We looked at faith as confession, faith and trust, faith and doubt, faith and works, and faith and community. Today, I'd like to look at faith and sight and explore the relationship between these two things. In verse 7 of today's passage, Paul writes the following, We walk by faith, not by sight. It's a common verse, uh, often quoted, uh, and I think often misunderstood. And today I'd like to ask the question, what does Paul mean when he says, We walk by faith and not by sight? Now, it's clear here that Paul isn't saying that we believe blindly, and whatever the evidence shows, we just disregard. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that the Christian faith is belief in this pie-in-the-sky story of salvation and a Savior where we have to use our imaginations. That's not what Paul is saying. There is something, however, he is saying, and that's something I'd like to look at today. What does he mean when he says we walk by faith and not by sight? Well, if you look back to chapter 4 of this letter, 2 Corinthians, 
Paul, he begins to draw a contrast between the reality of what Jesus has already done and this present world that we live in. He draws a contrast between what Jesus has already done and this present world as the work of Jesus is not yet fully realized. So, starting from chapter 4, says he, Paul says, On one hand, we have the glorious gospel that tells us we belong to Jesus, but in this world, we are separated from him in the body. We have, on one hand, the gospel reality that tells us we have eternal life. Yet, in this world, our outer bodies are wasting away. On one hand, the gospel tells us that we are forgiven in Jesus. We are justified in Jesus. Yet, in this world, we still go on sinning. And that day of final judgment when we will be publicly declared as justified, is still in the future. It's not yet. See, the gospel on one hand tells us that God in Christ has given us a home, an eternal home, a permanent home. Yet, on the other hand, in this world, we have a home but it's a tent. It's a temporary world. Finally, on one hand, the gospel tells us that God has adopted us and we are his children. Yet, Romans 8 and elsewhere tells us that we're not fully adopted yet. That still we are eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons, the full redemption of our bodies. And as a result of this, there's this one reality and this other reality. And as a result of this, Paul says in verse 5 that we groan inwardly. That there is this tension that we live in. See, Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he's, he, he keeps drawing on this tension between the reality of what God has done versus the present reality of the unfulfilled. This is where he uses the imagery of treasures in jars of clay. So we have a treasure, but it's in a jar of clay. Now, I have a friend who uh, adopted a child many years ago. Uh, but about three years ago, he calls me up and he says, Stephen, today was the day. Today was the day where now Scarlet is legally my daughter. So I responded. I said, what do you mean? Didn't you adopt her like a week after she was born? And that was like five years ago. Wasn't she your daughter for like five years since the time of her birth? What do you mean she just became your daughter? And he says, well, yes and no. He says, yes. Scarlett was under my care since she was a week old. She lived with me, I cared for her, and I was her legal guardian. However, even though her biological mother agreed to give her up for adoption during pregnancy, when she was born, 
she started to have doubts. And he tells me, it was a long, drawn-out legal battle. Her mother, her biological mother, was in no shape to raise a child. She was dealing with substance abuse. She, was, had, she had no footing. She was trying to, to just get herself right. She even signed all the papers. However, I had to wait. Years and years, dozens of examinations and arbitrations, and ultimately waiting for that final court date. And he tells me, Stephen, these past years have felt like hell. Excuse the language, but that's what he said. He said, you know, I, I didn't have an issue with driving 100 miles to take Scarlett to see her biological mother so that she can see her every weekend for the past five years. I didn't mind that. But it felt like hell because she wasn't fully mine and I wasn't fully hers. But man, today, when we went to court and when the adoption was complete, when the judge pronounced that it was finished, he said, joy swept over me like nothing I ever felt before. Even though she was technically mine, but now it's complete. She is mine and I am hers. Fully. You see, in this letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul gets into this pattern of contrasting what is accomplished in the gospel, the things that are done, finalized, finished and secure with what is not yet fully realized. And as a result, he talks about the suffering that we face, the disappointment that we encounter, the frustrations that we endure, and the sin that we struggle with. And as he balanced these two things out, Paul is drawing on this tension. Or to use more technical terms, Paul is drawing on the contrast between the already and the not yet. The two realities. That what Jesus has done versus the unrealized state of that work. This is the reference point for Paul in his statement, we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, what Paul is saying is this. Walk by faith. In other words, live according to the finished, not the unfinished, the sight. Paul is saying this. When you go on living your life, live the already in the not yet. Live not by the reality of our unrealized salvation but live in the reality of the finished work that we have in Christ. You know, as, as an example, um, you know, we played a little bit of our latest podcast episode, uh, Portraits of Grace. And uh, if you've listened uh, to, to the beginning, uh, you'll know that our host, uh, Unsu, he is now uh, engaged to his latest guest interviewee, Taylor. I mean, that podcast is magical. <laughs> Magic happens through that. 
but the but the point is this. Um, here, here's 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 the uh, the illustration. Now that Unsu and Taylor are engaged, uh, they'll be planning their lives um, with this future union in mind. Right? The engagement is complete, but the marriage isn't. However, in this in-between from engagement to marriage, they'll start to reorient their entire lives with this future in mind. Now imagine one day if Un comes up to Taylor and he says, Hey, Taylor, I just accepted a job offer, but it's in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm moving out in a few weeks. Or what if Taylor says, You know what? I just got a killer deal on my apartment lease, and I renewed it for 36 more months. What if one were to say to the other, I just adopted seven dogs because I felt so much compassion for these rescue dogs. Or if another said, you know what? I just opened up 15 credit cards because it was a great deal. Now, while these two individuals would have every right to do what they want because they are not yet married, the the logic is, shouldn't they be living their lives in the present with that future in mind? You see, because of the guarantee of the engagement, because that's what an engagement is, it's a deposit, it's a pledge. Because they have pledged themselves to one another, the most obvious and natural thing to do until that time is to live and plan with this marriage in mind. Now imagine if my friend told his daughter Scarlett, hey sweetie, because you're not yet Fully my daughter. You can't eat at the family dining table. Imagine if Scarlett said, you know what, Dad? Because you are not legally my daddy, I can't give you hugs and kisses. And I'm going to set up my room in the garage. And you can't tell me what to do. How absurd would that be? See, this is what Paul means when he says, we walk by faith and not by sight. He says, yes, when we look at the world and the unfinished state that it's in, when we see our world and our lives and we face disappointment, despair, destruction, despondency, we find that, but Paul is saying this, live not by sight but by faith. Don't let these things, the unfinished state of this world, dictate your heart's posture. He says, so we are always of good courage. Paul is saying, don't let that narrative of the unfinished state be the plot line of your life. Don't let that beat be the rhythm by which you move and live. Instead, remember the gospel, the already, that you are his sons and daughters, 
that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you are purchased by His blood. And as He says in verse in chapter 4, live in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You see, Paul is speaking of this engagement period that we are in. We walk by faith, not by sight. He's saying, listen, we're in this in-between. How should we walk? How should we live? We should live with this future consummation in mind. In verse 5 of today's passage, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. It is the guarantee that God has given to us that He will consummate this, that He will finish this. And so, because He has prepared us, He calls us to live with this in mind. Church, Paul is drawing on this truth that we are engaged to Christ. And so let us orient our lives with that glorious wedding in sight. You know, something that I find interesting is, um, you know, if you look in, in verse 4, you know, Paul mentions something. He says, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What is mortal might be swallowed up by life. Now, the more natural way of thinking about this is what is mortal is swallowed up by death. That's the more natural way. Right? I mean, 2020, what a year has it been? A year marked by death and disease. And for those of you who've seen your loved ones pass recently, for those of you who've been so near to death, the natural response is what? What is mortal is swallowed up by death. When death and decay creeps in, mortality is just swallowed up by disfigurement, disformity. That's living by sight. What does it mean to live by faith? It's seeing mortal bodies swallowed up by life. What is mortal? Life is swallowed up. See, this is the contrast that Paul is drawing on. There are two ways to live. We can live by sight. We can live in the reality of the not yet, the unfinished, thinking that what we see, what we encounter, what we face, that is everything. Or we can live in the already, what is finished, what is done. What beat will you live your life? What story, what plot line? Will you live your life? Paul's encouragement is to live by faith. Now, let me just, just talk a little bit about uh, this verb that he uses. Paul says, walk by faith. Walk by faith. He doesn't say, uh, act by faith, sit by faith, stand by faith. He doesn't even say, hey, just be in faith. He says, walk by faith. 
And I think this imagery is deliberate because it communicates just real powerful things. And, and let me just draw on two things. Why does Paul say walk by faith? And I have to credit Spurgeon here because uh, this is I've got a lot of this from Spurgeon. Walking by faith. What does it convey? What imagery do we have? Well, just two things. First, walking conveys a sense of struggle, a sense of toil. You see, if we're running by faith or jogging by faith, if we're sprinting by faith, or if we're prancing by faith or skipping by faith, it's a different connotation. It, it means that this life of faith is something that's easy, it's effortless, it's something that we can just do, go all out in. But Paul says walk by faith. And, and this sense of walking implies that it's not an easy journey. It's not something where we can hold our breath and finish in 12 seconds like a 100-meter race. You know, when I was, when I was young and I would... Um, watch a movie or a show and it you know the story was about a man who was stranded in in the desert you know i always wonder like why does this guy just run why is he walking so slowly why does he have all this clothing on him and he's walking so slowly yet he's talking about you know being afraid that the sun is going to go down i always thought like why is he walking slowly why don't he just run and get there faster if you're worried about the sun going down, just run. Well, that's because I was young and I was stupid. I didn't know that journeying in the wilderness is difficult. That you can't run. That in the wilderness, you have to walk. You see, when Paul says walk by faith, he's acknowledging that the steps that we take here on earth are heavy. He's acknowledging that our bodies are weary. Paul is acknowledging that it's actually difficult to live in the reality of what Jesus has done in this broken and sin-fallen world. You know, it's difficult to live in the reality that in Jesus I'm fully accepted. When everywhere I go, I'm told that I'm not good enough. How can I live in the reality that in Jesus I am fully accepted and loved by God when everywhere I go I'm told that I have to prove myself, I have to earn my self-worth, I have to work towards morality? It's a difficult tension. It's difficult to live as a slave to righteousness. But my previous master, sin, keeps calling out my name and tells me that I still belong to him. See, when Paul says, walk by faith, it implies a sense of perseverance, a sense of struggle. This is what, but this is, look at what Paul says in chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. He says this, we are afflicted in every way. So he acknowledges we are afflicted, but he says, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
See, Paul again is drawing on this tension that we live in, in the already and the not yet. And he acknowledges that because it's not fully realized there is difficulty, we are afflicted, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. However, we are not destroyed. So this idea of walking by faith, it implies a sense of struggle and perseverance. But walking also speaks of another, uh, another truth. And that is, when we walk by faith, the idea is, the picture is, that we are always in a moving state. If you think about it, walking, there's a transitory nature to walking. It's not permanent. It's not static. Walking means that there is movement, that there is progress. And this is what Paul is speaking of. As he talks about this home that we have here on earth, he says it's a tent. In the not yet, this world that we live in is a tent. And the tent is this ideal picture of a journey, of something that is temporary. It's ought to give a sense of temporariness. And this idea of passing is what Paul wants to communicate when he calls us to walk by faith. He's saying, we are passing by. This world is passing by. When we are walking by faith, we are progressing forward from this world to the next. We are progressing from the temporary to the eternal. You know, whenever there is, whenever you know, there's persecution and re- and resistance. Uh, whenever you know, the context is that of temptation and, and temptation and the work of the evil one. Paul tells us to stand in the faith, right? To hold our guard. But in the context of future glory, the word that Paul uses is walk. See, even though the days may feel slow and the years even slower, the idea that is communicated is we are passing by. We are moving on. And with each step, we are one step closer to glory. Paul tells us to walk by faith as an encouragement that we are progressing forward, that this journey will one day end. You see, that's, that's why this imagery that he's drawing on about our earthly home being destroyed so that we can enter into our eternal home, heaven. That's why he's using these imageries of the temporary versus the permanent Walk by faith towards the permanent. We are walking and headed towards completion. So Paul says, walk by faith, not by sight. And you know, here is the final encouragement for you. Um, This is what Paul ultimately is drawing on. And this is his point. 
in the way that our walk here on earth is temporary. So also, Paul says, faith is temporary. You see, this idea of walking by faith is limited and restricted to our life here on earth. But having walked by faith, and when we enter into glory, we will no longer walk by faith, but we will walk by sight. Or to be more technical, we will live forever by sight. See, this is the great hope and the promise that we have in the gospel, that when our journey ends, and when our walk is finished, our faith will become sight. 1 Corinthians 13, 9-12 says this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the partial will pass away. Going down to verse 12, he says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but when perfection comes, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You see, when Paul encourages the church to walk by faith, he's not saying walk by faith forever. He's not saying we will be in the state of faith forever. But he's saying walk by faith in the present, because this faith will become sight when the journey ends. And so this idea of faith and sight, and the present world and the present reality, they stand in tension with one another. But when the journey ends, the gospel hope is that faith will become sight. That we will no longer need faith. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life and we will see no longer dimly in a mirror, but we will see face to face. Let me end with just uh, one uh, illustration. Uh, One of the most prolific hymn writers in the history of the church is a person by the name of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby wrote over 9,000 hymns, and some of the most popular hymns, hymns that we even sing today. Safe in the arm of Jesus, blessed assurance, all the way my Savior leads me, Jesus keep me near the cross. These are just some of the hymns that Fanny Crosby wrote. She wrote so many hymns that at some point she was actually forced to use a pseudonym she started using a pen name because she was afraid that the hymnals would just be filled with her name. You know, what people don't know about Fanny Crosby, uh, what some people don't know about Fanny Crosby, was that um, she was the most prolific hymn writer in, in the history of the church, but she was actually blind. Now, she wasn't born with this illness, Uh, She became blind when she was about two months old. 
she grew sick, and this person um, pretended to be a doctor. And uh, he visited Fanny Crosby and her mother, and uh, she said that she can get well uh, by putting uh, hot mustard on her eyes. Now, she got her illness actually uh, went away, but that treatment left her blind. Uh, a few months after she became blind, uh, Fanny's father passed away, and her mother, she was forced to work as a maid to support her family. Now, Fanny went into a school for the blind, and there, you know, she, her, her love for poetry grew, and she started writing hymns. And she became this renowned and really famous hymn writer at the time. And there was this, this one uh, well-known story of Fanny was actually in service one time, and uh, the pastor looked upon her and said, Oh, Fanny, what a pity. What a pity that our Lord didn't give you sight. He gave you so many other gifts. What a pity he didn't give you sight, because if you just had sight, you would have been even better. And Fanny actually responds to this preacher by saying, you know, if there's one wish I have, it would be that I would be made blind at birth. You see, she became blind her first six weeks. But she says, if I had one wish, it would be that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. If I was just born blind, then the first face that I would have ever seen, that would have gladdened my sight, would be my Fanny Crosby understood that faith was soon going to be sight. That while here on earth, in this tension between the already and the not yet, while we live and walk by faith, she understood that this was just a journey that was going to end and that faith was going to become sight. Friends, church, walking by faith is difficult. It requires perseverance, a struggle. It acknowledges that it is not an easy task. However, the great encouragement that we have, the hope that we have, is that our faith will become sight. That is the promise of the gospel that we have this morning. That in this tension between the already and the not yet, in this tension of this engagement period, that our Lord will return and this union will be consummated. So friends, let us walk by faith as we look forward to all that Jesus is going to finish at his return.
Will you join me in prayer at this time?